0: hello friends and welcome to another edition of dan and benny in the ring i'm dan Spacciano, joined as always by the bs express himself benny scala benny how you doing buddy
1: well, Dan, it was kind of a rough day, but, uh, it, you know, th- this this is a good part of the day. We get to talk wrestling for the next yeah, hour. Rough,
0: rough day for you and me both. We'll uh, share that story later. Hopefully not. But, um, you know, we, we do a couple of these, Benny, from time to time, anniversary shows, uh, anniversaries of important events, special dates. Uh, we're off by a few days, but there was a uh, pretty... Maybe minor, I don't know how big you wanna you wanna put it in the perspective of history event that happened in wrestling around this time. Uh Benny, what's the uh, what's the plan here
1: tonight? So we're gonna talk about January eighteenth, nineteen seventy-one, which was I believe it would have been fifty-one years ago, last Tuesday, which in my mind was one of the most significant matches in the history of professional wrestling, which was Bruno San Martino versus Ivan Koloff.
0: Bruno San Martino versus Ivan Koloff for those. I mean, you have to go see it. You're absolutely right. Benny, there's, there's clips out there. You have to watch it. It is, I would argue your point as well. I agree with you on that. It is uh, the, one of the defining moments in the history of, of American wrestling. And it was, that moment was defined by a legendary title change, a shocked crowd, Bruno dropping the strap after, what was it, eight years? Correct me if I'm Se- wrong, Seven minute.
1: years and eight months.
0: Seven years, eight months. Uh, so, I mean, we're going to look at the history of that, and we're going to talk about the uh, the topic there. And joining us, we have two real experts on this topic, Pe- uh, both friends of the show. They've been on before. We're being joined by a uh, wrestler, referee, manager, promoter, author, and I'm sure there's a couple of uh, words in there I'm missing, Sal Carenti. Sal, thanks for being here.
2: Always a pleasure, guys. Always a pleasure.
0: And for the uh, wrestling side, joining us again, Benny, you once called this man Kansas City's finest. I believe. I, whenever <laughs> I think of
1: Davey, all, of I think, all I think about is Joe McHugh saying, from Kansas City, Missouri, weighing 245 <laughs> pounds.
2: And a, I mean, man when, with when, the, when uh,
1: Joe McHugh said that, like, all was right with the world because I knew that I was going to get to watch wrestling. Uh, and
0: i I, I want to make sure I get this credential right. You have a PhD in wrestling.
3: In uh, professional joined... wrestling, that's PhD. right. <laughs> <Davey O'Hannon>.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we're, of course, joined by Davey O'Hannon. Davey, thanks so much for being here.
3: It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you.
0: So we're going to get right to it. Uh, Benny, th- this is a huge moment. What, what are you
1: thinking here? Okay, so, you know, there are certain moments in time where when when things happen, you, you remember vividly where you were at that time. And for me, you know, the morning of January 19th, 1971, we would get the New York Daily News delivered to our house. And I, it's been a while, but if I remember correctly, I read, you know, I would always turn to the sports section first. And uh, I had seen that Bruno had lost to Ivan Koloff. And, you know, I mean, he didn't just lose. He lost this championship. And I can still remember how I felt that Bruno was no longer the champion. This is my hero. This was Superman. This was a man who was, to me, invincible and unbeatable. And I was just curious, and I know Sal's a little bit younger than we are, and um, I believe at that point he wasn't a fan, but I know that I'm sure he's spoken to Bruno about this many times, but I was curious as far as what you both felt on that day.
3: Well... Do you want me to tell you how I felt? Yes, I was sir. There. I was I was a, a loyal loyal wrestling fan, uh, and the, the Bruno was uh, was the was the top of the hill for everybody. If you were a wrestling fan, I was lucky enough to be in Madison Square Garden in 1963 as a fan when Bruno beat Buddy Rogers. Oh man! So that was exciting. You know, that was really exciting. Uh,
0: but that was incredible.
3: It was it was incredible. It was incredible. Uh, and and you know, uh, if you were a Bruno fan, if you if you were if you were in the old garden, I'll just go back to that night. Uh everybody was so invested in this thing. You know, uh it's changed now, uh but the the people lived and died with Bruno, including myself. Uh Bruno dropping the strap uh, was just as emotional. And, you know, uh, listen, I, you know, I, knew, I know my place in the wrestling business. I, I was lucky enough to be there. Uh, nothing special. Uh, you know, but like I said, I was lucky enough to, to be allowed to be uh, able to do what I wanted to do for my whole life. Well, I, I was also uh, standing in Madison Square Garden when Bruno dropped the belt to Koloff. Uh, at the time, I was trying to get myself into the business. I wasn't uh, in the business yet, uh, but I had gotten friendly with uh, Gino Morella, who was Monsoon, and Arnie Skol, and uh, they they kind of treated me nicely. Uh, I was just a kid that wanted to uh, bug them every chance I got to get in the business. And I was at Madison Square Garden, and uh, and when that match went on, I was actually standing in the runway uh, where. The wrestlers come out, uh, standing right in front of Vince McMahon senior and off to my right, uh, was Monsoon. And, uh, you know, you have to understand that, that everybody on the card didn't know what was going on. That's not something that's discussed. You know, that's, that's really, really, uh, kept quiet. That's really kept quiet. You could be sure that Monsoon knew it. And, you know, of course, Vince senior did, uh, you know, but the boys really didn't. The boys really didn't know what was going on, and uh, it was it was just an unbelievable feeling, uh, unbelievable. So that the, even the, even the guys didn't know. And how did they react? Well, sure. You you have to understand that. You know, you know the the setup in in almost you know all the arenas are kind of different. They're dressing room setups, uh, but for the most part. Uh, Most of the arenas had a spot for the heels, a spot for the babies. You know, we were we were separated, uh, or the Garden where the people couldn't see where you were coming out. Everybody came out the same door. It was kind of everybody was mixed in, but for a night like the Garden, uh, the champ and and whoever he was working with were separated. They were they were by themselves. They were by themselves, and that's not because somebody like Bruno thought he needed a private dressing room if anybody never did, it was him he was He was the most down to earth regular guy you ever want to meet in your life uh, but anyway uh, you know so so you know monsoon, who was uh, a partner in the business, I'm not sure if he was a partner just yet, but you know he was he was part of the office at that time, and I'm sure Scotland knew what was going on, you know, but the guys standing around there I mean I remember. Uh, standing there myself, and and I don't recall exactly uh, who else was there, uh, but boy, oh, but the, you know what? The garden got uh, deathly silent, and Monsoon thought I had a seat out in the in the in the stands there, and he said to me, he says, "Kid, don't go back out there, just stay in here," yeah, because everybody thought there was going to be a riot. Everybody thought there was going to be a riot. It was, and you could actually hear people sobbing. It was unreal. It was unreal.
1: I mean, that, that uh, just the fact that you said that people sobbing just is a, a testament to how how much people really they they got into this. They got emotionally invested. And oh yeah. Sadly, you don't see that anymore, and it's so sad. But like back then, I mean, like I said, when 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 Joe McHugh said, you know, in, in this corner from Kansas City, Missouri. I knew that for the next hour, I don't care what was happening outside. I don't care if if we were getting invaded by another country. Yeah. I'm watching wrestling and, you know, going to the garden and, and watching Bruno um, and, and, and the fact that he lost. I mean, that had to be absolutely heartbreaking to his fans. Well,
3: it, it, I mean, you know, uh, grown ups crying, sobbing. It was unreal. When I tell you the place was quiet... You know, I've been in a lot of arenas since then. I've been in a whole bunch. I've been in almost every big building that we used to use, uh, you know, around the country. Man, this place was silent, silent. You could hear a little grumbling. Uh, there, were, there was no booing. There was no booing. They were too stunned. They were too stunned. And and Gino just kind of tugged at the back of my arm. He said, "Don't, don't go back to, back out there, kid." He said, "Don't go back out there." You know, I I wasn't sure what was going on because I I wasn't in the business yet. You know, I wasn't in the business
1: yet.
0: That's
3: amazing.
1: You were there for both Bruno's victory over Buddy Rogers and then the the match with Koloff. That's amazing.
0: Yeah. Yeah, The the tail end of both parts of history there.
3: Yeah. uh, You know, like I said, you know, for me, uh... i was a fan i was a fan just like you guys were i've watched it on television i had the wrestling magazines i i did it all uh... you know i was a die-hard fan and you know for me to be able to break into the business uh... and and call some of them my friends uh... was a dream come true uh... and you know the, the, a big part of the story for me is being there uh... when bruno won the belt and uh... You know, I, I never discussed it with him about dropping a strap. I knew he needed a rest, you know, because we talked about that kind of stuff. And and only somebody that's been on the road uh, can appreciate what that means. And especially if you're the champ, there is never a down day for them. Never a down day. Unless you were the AWA champ. They, they, had, uh, they, had, pretty, they, had, they had office hours. You know, they were pretty good.
2: They had part, I used to,
3: they were part timers. Oh my god. Yeah, Nikki Nikki used to say to guys like Bruno or, or used to I heard him say to Funk once, How many days do you work last year? Funk said, I don't know. <laughs> well I think all of them. Yeah, it was all of them.
1: Nick probably it was worked all half of, them. of that, right? It...
3: Oh yeah, yeah. hundred and eighty days. Hundred and eighty days. We used to joke.
0: You know, it's funny how things change because you have you know, with with the weekly shows and uh, very limited road schedules nowadays. You have wrestlers, active, high-profile wrestlers today that would be shocked at a hundred and eighty-day schedule. And here we are talking about it like it was like it was light and nothing. Oh my god! Back then,
3: oh my god, it was unreal. I mean, I, you know, I I I got to work in some of the territories. I mean, New York was a big territory. You you did some traveling here, uh, you know. I went to Amarillo. 2,000 miles a week uh, New Brunswick which is up in Nova Scotia in the Maritimes and you were doing 2,000 miles a week there you know and, and you, if you'd be there I was up in Nova Scotia well here comes Terry Funk here comes Terry Funk well that's an NWA territory you know and Bruno was so so popular and so in demand he went into NWA territories to work you got to understand that Bruno was was over like a trillion dollars in St. Louis, you know, or Indianapolis. So not only was Bruno doing the stuff here, you know, he was on loan. And then, you know, mix in there uh, some Australia or some Japan Japan, or wherever else, Puerto Rico. I mean, this guy, this guy uh, used to pass himself in the airports. I mean, you you didn't know if you were coming or going. Wow. That's funny.
1: So uh, the next question is kind of maybe for Sal. So um, Sal, you know, you've had many, many conversations with Bruno. Obviously, Um, he lost the the title on on January eighteenth. How? When did he decide that it was time that he took a rest? Because you know, and it's so funny because now I I laugh when I hear like Michael Cole say, uh, "So and so has been the champion for one hundred and twenty days." Really? Who cares? (laughs) Like Bruno was a champion. They didn't measure days; they measured years. Yeah, so, eight years. <laughs> right, and these guys like 120 days. Big deal. That's you know, like that, that's something nothing for Bruno. Try that time, 60. But um, Sal, when did when did Bruno decide that he actually was going to, you know, get himself a little bit of a
2: rest? Well, you know, let, let me say first off that Vince Senior did this to himself. Um, this was it was not a well calculated move on his part to work Bruno every day. Um, you know, the bottom line is this. Bruno, in those days, headlined a lot of B clubs. There was no need for Bruno to headline those B clubs. If Bruno had just gotten some rest, just maybe worked five days a week, six days a week, who, who knows, it could have been anything, because like Davey said, it was nothing for the, for the most part. Um, so this was, to me, Bruno had to take a rest based on greed of the past seven years. Because the truth is, they would have probably had Bruno there the whole time if he had had a chance to rest. Um, his body was beat up, and he went back to work after I think Dick the Bruiser may have called him or something, or somebody said, "Hey, come yep. here for three days," or you, you know. And he said, "I was feeling better," and I figured, "Why not?" You know. But he had decided quite a while before. But of course, McMahon did everything he could to um, to hold off the uh, the re- you know the retirement. Um, eventually, of course, there was really nothing more he could do because I'm pretty sure that Bruno said, uh, look, you either give this to somebody or, or I'm leaving and then you can do whatever you have to do, but I've got to get some rest. And, you know, let me also say that he handpicked Kolov off. It was his recommendation, but when he found out <clears throat> what the plan was and he did not know what the plan was until later and that Kolov was going to drop that belt within a month. And I don't know that this would have helped Ivan once, you know, at all, because once you, you know, you beat the biggest name in the business, um, even if you lose it back the next day, you still beat the guy who beat Bruno San Martino. But he he felt like, he said, I don't even think I would have recommended him if I knew he said, I recommended him because I really thought that they could do something with him. But I'm sure, you know, McMahon had, had different thoughts and, And they put the belt on Pedro, and that's all fine. But, you know, Bruno, let's, we can go back through anybody you want in history. There is nobody that I'm aware of, somebody would have to tell me the story, that gave up the belt twice. Belts were taken away from people. Yep. But they didn't give them up, right? And he did it, he did it two times. Um, He discussed it very often. I mean, some of these clubs, you know, I mean, look, pick any towns you want, um, CYO and Trenton or whatever that you, what is there and maybe uh, uh, Scranton and these little clubs that the tag team champions, Strongbow guys like this could have probably filled without Bruno. Bruno could have had a little bit of a rest and they would have had him for all the big clubs. And if we fast forward to when he came back the second time, that was the deal, right? So if it was good yep. enough for them, why wouldn't it have been good enough for the first run? Hey, Bruno, look, if you'll come back for one year, you only have to work three or four days in just the big clubs. and I mean, Who knows? Maybe something came up here or there. But for the most part, the McMahons kept their word. Now, when the year was up, he says, okay, guys, the year's up. It's time for me to to uh, to grab the belt. And they said, Bruno, what's the problem? You're being paid very well. We kept our word. You're just working. And he said, you know what, Sal? I thought about it. They were right. I mean, what, what the hell? So I stayed another three years. He said, but after that, I eventually told him, look, you come up with something or I'm out you know and that's when they came up with Billy
3: Graham. Yeah, and what you got to understand too is
2: uh when the
3: when the champ gets in the ring, it's usually it's almost always not for 5 minutes, 7 minutes, 15 minutes. They're out there for almost an hour. Almost an hour. I mean the NWA territories, almost every one of them. Every every one of the top guys uh Go out there and work an hour, or very close to it, or more, or more. Well, Bruno did the same thing. I mean, he was in shape for it. There was nobody in shape like him. There was nobody in shape like him. I, I'll never forget uh, Bugsy McGraw joking with me, saying, "I'm going to blow him up tonight." I said, "Hey, Mike," I said, "You might get a little Now, now, Bugsy McGraw was was in unbelievable condition unbelievable this guy was like a machine and uh, you know I talk to him every once in a while we still stay in touch and I always say to him bugger I said how'd you make out blowing Bruno up that night and he starts to laugh he said oh man what a surprise so you know Bruno went out there and and never shortchanged the fans you gotta understand that he was out there for the people to see him and and every single match that he was in was 100% full speed ahead every night, every single night injuries or not injuries
2: or not. So, I mean, and how, guys, many, how many, people, in, Go ahead. Sorry. I'm sorry just, I, wanted, I think this is a very important point. I don't know the age range of your listeners, but if they're, if they're on the younger side or those that are on the younger side may not realize, when Bruno was working, he was working in a boxing ring, not a wrestling ring like today. Oh, yeah. So when, Bruno, when Bruno came back from the 80s, you know, so these things, backdrops and all this, were was like landing on cement. When Bruno came back in the 80s with, with all this stuff with uh, his son and, and all that and, and coming back to announce, he got out of the ring the first night and he went in the dressing room. He said, guys, this thing is like a trampoline. If I was working in this thing, I would have been a champion for 20 years. Yeah. Well, listen, I, know, I want to tell you that's something. That's a whole different yeah. perspective of, of oh, all these injuries right. and everything else.
3: Yeah. Yeah, those old timers. The, the, the Now, I was never in the ring in the old garden, uh, but, but the guys used to tell me, like cement, like cement. Now, I caught on to a couple of those rings when I got in, and there was one in Baltimore. Uh, the first ring we used in the Baltimore Civic Center for years uh, was... Uh, 24 by 24, which is huge. That's huge for a wrestling ring. And it was as solid as a sidewalk. Uh, Well, what that started to do was shortchange the fans. Because after you worked in a place like Baltimore a couple of times, whoever you were working with, you'd say, "Uh, no bumps tonight, no bumps, take it easy, stay right down here. But Bruno never did that. Bruno, like I said, was 100% every night, no matter where it was.
1: You know, and I, I actually uh, went on wrestling, I think it's wrestlingdata.com, and it's not really complete, but it's pretty, it's got a lot of history, and I was looking at, you know, where Bruno, uh, and it's this kind of a uh, dovetail Point, I mean, he was wrestling in McKeesport, Pennsylvania, and, you know, all these, like, you know, uh, the, Shrewsbury, New Jersey. And oh, yeah. I, first first time I saw him was at the Island Gardens in uh it was huh. April 26, 1968, uh West Hempstead, New York, and it was oh, Burrough hey. against Toro Tanaka. And yeah, it was uh, the, the thing I'll never forget is you know, they started running the ropes, and when they collided, it sounded like an earthquake. Oh, yeah. I will never forget that. I was a 13-year-old kid. And, uh, you know, Bruno got up right before the count of 10, and he won the match. It was like a 15, 20-minute match. But, like, I mean, I'm thinking, like, this guy did this 300-something nights a year.
3: That's for sure. And that's, that's for incredible. Sure. Well, yeah. Yeah, and like I said, you know, I, I'll, uh, I'll say it. Uh, I don't have to defend Bruno. I mean, he's he's his own best defense. He gave the fans everything every night. <laughs> You know, I I watch people, and not we not the only guy did it. You know, a lot of us did it, taping together a couple of fingers because one is broken. Well, yeah, you're not gonna you're not gonna miss a, a night's work because your finger's broken, you know, or or put a pad on your elbow because you broke a bursa, and it looks like a water bag hanging off your elbow. nope, you know, Bruno's nose was broken I think 14 times. You, you think that the night after a broken nose he took off? No, he didn't. You know, and and if uh, you saw him in Tanaka, Tanaka was a was a, a pretty solid guy to work with. Oh my God. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, you know, we used to have an expression. Some guys uh, like Bobo were really light and loose, and some guys uh, were a little snug or what we called work close. Well, Tanaka worked close. Tanaka worked close, and Bruno did too. And Bruno did too, and and the reason for that, and a lot of us did. I did. I always I always laid them in, and and uh, because the people were close to us, and and we had such a, a belief in what we did, uh, and and you know what I learned that from guys like Bruno, I learned that from guys like Bruno. He helped me so much, uh, you know, in the beginning, and and pointed me in the right direction. You know, the people believed. Because we believed what we were doing. That's why the people believed. And especially in Bruno. Nobody more than that. Absolutely.
0: You know, it's funny you talk about keep working through the injuries. We've had numerous guests in the past over the past year that have talked about working six days a week and twice on Sundays or twice on Saturdays. Yep. I mean, we've heard stories of people like Bruno getting injured, breaking something, hurting something in the morning match and it's not even take the day off you're wrestling again later that day 300 miles oh, yeah. away or something you know
3: sure sure but i
0: want to i kind of want to put a little fantasy spin if we can you guys really both of you told a very similar story with bruno uh once he, he, he picked cole off you know and we, there were other heels at the time like a blackjack mulligan or something that I I could have seen kind of pushing through Um, so uh, you you did tell the story where Bruno could have worked a lighter schedule probably would have stayed champion longer so I want to put a little bit of a fantasy twist if in a perfect world let's say you're you're the man in charge you know Bruno's got to drop the belt do you pick do you pick Cole off and keep him or do you pass it to someone else? Uh, I'm going to bounce this to you guys. Kind of, Benny and I had talked about this before the show, but I want a little fantasy thought. Uh, what would what would you have done different, if
2: anything? Go ahead, Sal. Well, th- this is the thing, guys. Um, the colof of the '80s is not the colof that Bruno dropped the belt to. He was a different performer. He lost weight. He moved. Uh, not that he didn't always move quick, but he was definitely a different performer. He was probably 50, 60 pounds heavier, strong as an ox. Bruno loved wrestling him. And to be honest with you, Bruno had never one time even said, I also considered so-and-so. Um, you know, I was not a wrestling fan until 1977. So I wouldn't have had as good a perspective as Davey would have. But I can tell you, he never once recommended any other name um, for that particular spot at at that time and when you think about it keep in mind new york was a big man's territory so certain guys even though they were wild in the south and probably sold out places all over it it just wasn't going to happen in the north so it was limited and koloff could probably work a lot of different styles and keep in mind that was the key to bruno's success he was not repetitious if he was wrestling koloff He'd do uh, Don Leo, Jonathan, guys like this. they do strongman stuff. If he wrestled the wrestler, you know, people knew that they were seeing something different all the time. The guys that go out and just keep doing the same old thing, how do you think you fell at Madison Square Garden for seven years by doing the same thing <laughs> over and over? It doesn't work that way. So in his mind, he, he knew that that was what kept him strong. So he wanted something like that to continue. And Koloff was, was an absolute tremendous talent. Bruno loved him. Um, you know, I think Bruno discovered him up in uh, Canada working as Red McNulty. Exactly and brought right. In, and brought him down. He brought, he brought Gino down. Bruno brought in most of the talent that he worked with, and he knew what yep. he could do with them. Now, of course, there were times when people came in as favors, and, you, you know, you'd wrestle a Bull Ramos or a Tank Morgan, guys like this. Bruno was okay with that because he said, Sal, I thought it was important that every now and then they saw the champion just beat somebody. No returns, count outs, DQ, all this crap. They needed to see the champion just beat somebody.
3: Right, so exactly.
2: He had the good mindset for that, and that's why I think you went with Koloff. I think anybody else who would have been considered a dangerous champion was was probably somewhat one-dimensional and, and would not really have been able to, to to go the route. You follow me? Yes.
3: Well, you know that what, and, and it's, it's, uh, I, I couldn't, I couldn't with authority comment on why Bruno did that. Uh, I never discussed that with him and that was before I was actually in the business. Uh, I started in 72 uh, and that's when I got to know Bruno and, uh, our friendship grew from there. But I do know how he felt about Koloff. Uh, they were very good friends. Like Sal said, uh, up in Canada. Koloff was a fantastic worker. Uh, he did the territories, he'd been around. Uh, you know he could he could work varied styles. Bruno loved working with a big, strong guy and boy Red was really a big, strong guy uh, and and he was a good person. He was a good person, I think that's why. But the other part of that is if you look historically, you don't see too many guys that came from the NWA that were tremendous successes in the new york area and vice versa you'll you'll see guys that that left new york uh... you know during during those years during during our years i'll call them the territory days uh... guys left new york uh... and tried the nwa territories and and it was really hard for them to get over it was really hard for them to get over now mulligan was over in Mid-Atlantic and, and Charlotte in that area, but it was after uh, he had his run in New York. You know, he was he was a a big uh, uh, impressive heel. You know, I'm not sure I'm not sure how he would have done uh, as uh, as a heel champ here in New York. I'm not sure he would have wanted to do it. You know, Bobby was a good guy. Uh, He was a tough guy for the promoters to get along with. That might be a reason he wasn't uh, wasn't considered. Uh, I mean, he was he was uh, he was a trip to watch when he talked to promoters. Man, I'll tell you. You know more than once I saw him say to the different people, "Oh no, you don't no, no, we're not doing that, yeah, well, you got to get in the ring in two minutes i don't I don't care when we got to get in the ring. Ernie Ladd was the same way, Ernie was great ernie ernie was uh, was fun to watch talking to promoters uh you know, and I'm not sure somebody like Ernie would have wanted the strap either but but for bruno to, to pick Cole off. They were, they were good friends. Uh, he knew uh, how honest the Red was about his work in the ring, and, and that's what Bruno wanted. That was really important to him. You know, no cartoons, no fooling around. Uh, this is a wrestling match. It's not a show. You know, Bruno and I talked years later. Uh, I, I was lucky enough to be able to induct him into the Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame, and... Uh, you know, I said, listen, the, the marquee in Madison Square Garden on May 17th, 63, said wrestling tonight. Roger San Martino. It didn't say hell in a cell, rage in the cage, summer slam, Ring slam, winter slam, whatever the hell slam it was. Uh, it was wrestling, and Bruno was dead serious about it. No, uh, hey, guys, if you,
2: if you look at the cards from the older days, you will see most of the cards that Bruno was on, um, especially at the beginning, once he established himself, were very weak cards. They would send the, the kangaroos or whoever it was to some B club and most of the most of the talent because they felt Bruno could draw the house. Of course, he didn't really like that. He didn't think it was fair to the fans. So he, he spoke to McMahon about strengthening the card. And yep. he said, well, we don't need to strengthen the card. That's not the point. You need to strengthen the card, whether you need to strengthen the card or not. And Keep in mind, the real testament to Bruno is this. If you if you ask me, many times over the years, Bruno came back and he'd make a shot here, a shot there, a shot here, a shot there. Now, I don't know of any promoter in the world who spends more money on talent, especially higher price talent, to turn people away at the door. If they're bringing somebody like Bruno, hey, can you come to this club? Is because they didn't have faith in what was on top. To, to draw the house for whatever reason there was. Now, that happened many, many times over the years. I'm not aware of any time that some big name was brought in to help Bruno draw a house.
3: Oh, I mean, never. that's that no.
2: really just that's just factual. So, you know, again, for your younger fans, I'm sure this is a whole different perspective. But, you know, if they had had marketing, if anybody, you know, had seen the vision, and, and Bruno didn't see the vision, because I'm sure if he had, he might have Talk to McMahon, but the money that he would have made in merchandising would have probably dwarfed his salary. But of course, there was very minimal merchandising. Oh my, to no merchandising yeah. at that oh my
1: gosh, that, that's mind boggling to even think about. You know, but, but we, that's my
3: perspective, we, and I think the numbers, you know, prove it out. You know what? We never, never sold a picture back then. This is, it's only, you know, relatively recent that the the conventions and things like that are going on. You know, recent being 10, 12, however many years they've been happening. But uh, when I was in the territories, and, you know, that's Bruno's days, uh, you'd, you'd order yourself a set of pictures because if somebody said, hey, can I get a picture of you? Sure, here. You signed it, you hand them a picture. There was no selling pictures. There was no selling autographs, no. You know, stand up, yeah, you could take a picture of me for ten dollars. Bruno, listen, Bruno would have been off the charts. His popularity was was that big. It was unreal. It was unreal.
0: I mean they have they have indie shows today you go to, and they might have a guest from that era. And the line at his autograph picture table is longer than the box office line for the wrestling show he's guesting at.
3: <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right.
0: You know, you, yeah. you guys, you guys were talking a lot about his downtime. I'm curious, uh, in the, your conversations through the years, what, what was Bruno up to during his time off other than recovery? Did he have any side things he was working on anything like
3: that? Well, he was very active in Pittsburgh, uh, you know, in the community, uh, you know, I don't know how much uh, time he spent. To, you know, don't forget, he had a bunch of injuries that he was taking care of. That takes time, and, that, and that's like work. That's like work. Uh, but you know what? I, I don't know how many, uh, I'm sure hardly ever, uh, if somebody said to Bruno, geez, you know, i got a, a grandfather, an uncle, a cousin that not feeling good, would really like to meet you. I, I don't remember Bruno ever saying no. You know, he kept himself really busy. Uh, you know, and he and he had a family, had a young family at the time too. Don't forget. So, so you know, you had to, uh, and and he was always he he always had his hand in the wrestling business. He he was a partner with Bruiser out there in Indianapolis, and they had something going. He was uh, very active with with Baba in Japan. You know, that's how my first two trips to Japan. You know, Bruno sent me for Baba. Uh, and, uh, you know, so he, I don't think he just sat home and, uh, and listened to his Mario Lanza records. That's for sure. <laughs> Jimmy Rosselli, you, you know,
2: at some point, Bruno owned, uh, was, had taken over a health club, um, with, I believe some partners and they had turned the club around and then the owner, you know, I guess Bruno and the, these guys were ready to take it over completely. The owner wouldn't sell it. He said, okay, well then you guys need to run it yourself. You, you know, um, uh, but the place had been failing. And then of course keep in mind he eventually bought the Pittsburgh territory. Right. Um, yep. and he didn't he didn't buy it for much. It was failing, but he was confident that he knew exactly what he needed to do to turn it around. And yeah. so that's yeah. why he did it. McMahon was too far away. They were doing some I remember him telling me everybody was a champion. <laughs> as soon as he took over, he said, From now on, nobody's a champion. I'm the world champion. Yep. The kangaroos yep. are the tag champions. That's it. And that's how they started. and They went forward with the uh, with the territory there. And uh, McMahon, uh, I believe, had ten percent coming to him from the Civic Arena show. So whenever Bruno wanted talent, he he would never refuse. Of course, he probably wouldn't never refuse them anyway. But Bruno would bring in talent as he needed it, or he'd you know guys that weren't in the territory. He might bring them in here and there. And, and yeah, and that like was a that. great place.
3: That, that was a great place to work uh, because the other house shows beside the. Uh, the Civic Center, I mean, they were always filled. They were always filled. There were great towns to work outside of Pittsburgh, West Virginia. You know, all of that area was fantastic. You know, don't forget, uh, a lot of those places, uh, there was uh, no live entertainment. So, so when the wrestlers came to town, that was the thing to do. You know, in the summer, maybe the Kearney came in. Uh, but, boy, oh, boy, and Bruno... Uh, made sure it was done the right way, you know, in his image, which was, we're wrestlers, we're wrestlers, we're serious about this, you know. He never allowed yeah, well, any. of the of guys
2: was it Abe Coleman or, or, or yes. one of the other guys. He, he told them. He said, "Look, you want to keep a job here? Totally fine, as long as things get done my way." Exactly. And of course, they did it his way, and that was it. Oh yeah,
3: yeah. Listen, he he, J J. J.J. Dillon uh, was was wrestling, I think it was, I think at the, in the beginning it was uh, Cowboy Jim Dillon or something like that, and uh, and Bruno told Abe, he's on every card you book from now on, he's on every card, and Coleman said, well, I don't know, Bruno said, yeah, well now you know, he's on it, and he did it, and he did it, he called the shot, he called the shot.
2: Yeah, he actually told him it doesn't matter he starts working next weekend. It doesn't matter if you have to add a match on That's Yeah. That's the way it is.
3: Exactly. Exactly.
1: That, that totally speaks real. volumes to Bruno, the man, because not, I mean, he, he's the, the world champion, you know, the most popular wrestler on the planet. And he's worried about, about JJ J. Dillon. That just, that well, speaks now, volumes to what kind of person he was.
2: Keep in mind, he knew JJ J. from when he was a referee in New York. And yep. um, what had happened is JJ drove down to Pittsburgh to try to see Bruno because I, I don't guess he, he was in Detroit. I don't guess he, he necessarily wanted to stay there and, uh, and he tried to talk his way in and of course, yeah, you know, who's J.J. J. Dillon? To those people, he was nobody but eventually Bruno came out and when they saw how happy he was to see him, J.J. J. told me himself, he said, they were all kind of shocked that he actually knew who I was yeah. and then David. The, then the story David told is the rest of the story.
3: Yeah, and and let me tell you, we we wouldn't have time to count, and we probably don't know how many people Bruno went out of his way for to to uh, take care of in this business, and and I mean everything from lending people money, and one, and and usually when you lend somebody money, that means you get it back. Bruno got stiffed plenty of times, plenty of yeah, times,
2: plenty of times,
3: big and, and for a lot of money. But, Bruno, when he didn't have to do it, he was the champ. He, he could have isolated himself. He was such a good-hearted guy. He'd, he he always sat in the room with us, with the, with the boys, you know, unless there was something going on, like the night at the Garden when they were going to make the switch. Uh, he had to be alone. But, you know, he'd, he'd sit in there and play cards or whatever he was doing with the guys. Uh, and if he... Went to somebody and said, "How's it going?" And the guy said, "Ah, Bruno, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. You know, uh, uh, you know, I'm not making any money." And Bruno would have a talk with him, and the next thing you know, is and and he did it quietly. Uh, he'd go to he'd go to a guy like Vince and say, "Listen, you you better start taking care of this fella. He's he's a loyal guy to you. He's in that ring every night. He's doing whatever you want him to do. I mean, there's one guy." That, for years, never made a thousand dollars in a week. And Bruno was shocked. Bruno said, "You're kidding me. You're kidding me. You're on the road. I see you all the towns. I see you doing a trap. The guy said, "Yeah, he's uh, never got that lucky." And Bruno went right to Vince and fixed that and fixed that. he was he was such a good-hearted, sincere uh, guy that that uh, you know he didn't want to see somebody get hurt. He was great. He was great. There's not gonna be another guy like Bruno.
1: No. So um when 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 Bruno lost, did that affect I mean, I I know he absolutely had to take the rest, but I would think back then that affected the finances of, of the other the other guys, didn't it? As far as him oh, not being yeah. on, on top of the card. So how did that work?
3: <laughs> That's for sure. That here, let me tell you something. When we got our bookings, what you would do is uh, usually at TV, usually at Philadelphia TV, you'd uh, you'd get the big book that was uh, on the table in front of Vince, uh, or Gino, or Skull, and whoever, and you'd bring your own, you'd bring your own little booking book, your date book, and you'd sit down, and you'd go through and and write your towns down. Uh, a lot of guys wrote down who they were going to work with, you know, maybe for traveling reasons. or... What you did was you, know, you always you always took a glance to see who was on top. You always glanced to see who was on top, and if Bruno's name was there, you knew you had a great night. You knew you had a great night, you know. And and sometimes they ran three towns a night. Sometimes they ran three towns, you know. So if uh, if you were in the, in the town that the champ was in, Bruno, you you okay? You, you could. Maybe uh, maybe you order a steak that night. <laughs> you were doing all right, you know. So yes, when when Bruno left for a while, uh, you could see the houses went down a little bit. But then you know what? When when Pedro came in, Pedro was an ethnic champ too. He was wildly popular. Uh, uh, he was popular. I don't think he was popular in the same way as Bruno was. Uh, the fans were very emotional about Bruno. Very emotional. Almost like he was family. Uh Pedro heated the people up in a different way. Not a bad way either, a good way. Pedro was a good champ. Was a good champ. But you know what? And 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 remember that Pedro was a very dear friend of mine. Nobody is ever gonna fill Bruno's shoes, in my eyes anyway.
1: I had a question, and this is something I've always wanted to ask people who were in the business, because, you know, I uh, I loved Pedro, and you're absolutely right. You know, people, people. I think maybe people love Pedro, but people idolize Bruno, and maybe that's the best way to explain it.
3: Well, but yeah, exactly.
1: What was, was, did Bruno handpick Pedro? And also, because when when I started watching wrestling back in 68, Victor Rivera was to me the the like the number 2 baby face um, was he ever considered instead of pedro
2: um, I, I don't i don't know that and bruno certainly never mentioned it and no he had nothing like i said he wouldn't have taken the belt off of koloff so he wouldn't have been recommending anybody they had right. their plan they didn't tell him what it was and look it, you know i hear a lot of people talking about how popular pedro was i was not a wrestling fan i'm just a common sense guy and I'm sure, you know, he was popular. I mean, look, he was popular as an intercontinental champion when I liked him. And I've worked with him and, um, you know, all different kinds of things. But this is what I'll say. When Vince McMahon Sr. and Vince McMahon Jr. get on a plane, go to Pittsburgh, and ask Bruno to meet them at the Pittsburgh airport because they need him to come back and take the belt, <laughs> that wasn't because everything was right. Right? These guys, and I, every now and then we talk and I said, Bruno, that, the meeting. Where was that, LaGuardia or it was in Pittsburgh? They met me in Pittsburgh. I said, that's right. Now, anybody who knows these guys know that when they got off that plane, they had their pride in their pocket. You bet. You know what I mean? They would have loved nothing more than to say, hey, okay, he helped us out. We don't need him. They got on a plane and went there and said, please come back. Again, these are are just facts. I'm not discouraging or disparaging anybody. Bruno was special for his time. He was special, you know, oh, you got yeah. Willie Mays, Mickey Mantle, and Bruno San Martino were the three high paid athletes in the country in, in the sixties. Um, it, you know, so, I mean, that's it. again, I don't want to talk poorly of anybody, but facts are facts. Bruno did not ask to go back. He certainly did not ask to go back and get the title. I can tell you that he was happy going for Baba. You know, he was happy going for Dick, the bruiser, um, you know, who, whoever else wanted him and, and being at home with his family. Remember, Bruno really, truly loved his family. He loved Carol. Oh, yeah. And he, you know, she gave up a lot. Uh, but this was the way that he, he was going to earn a living. So uh, all, all I'm putting is facts out on the table. If anybody can dispute them with real numbers and not opinions and emotions, I'm all ears. Let me know. Right. But I know this. V- Vince McMahon hasn't walked across a room for anybody because he had sympathy. <laughs> oh, that's for sure. <laughs> you know, never mind, get on a plane and fly to Pittsburgh.
3: Oh yeah, yeah. They 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 were hurting. They were hurting, uh, you know. And like I said, nobody is Bruno. Nobody is Bruno. Uh, it, it's such a different dynamic. Such a different dynamic. There's guys uh, that got the the fan base charged up just for a little while, you know. Then it died down, uh, or you know, one or two nights, or depending on the angle uh, or the match or who is in the match with the butt nobody uh, had the investment of the fans like Bruno. nobody, even people that weren't wrestling fans. You have to understand that and and you also have to understand that to to have single name recognition in something uh, is special. Well you if, if you go now and say to somebody, hey, you know who's Bruno?" they'll oh, wasn't that that guy that wrestler San Martino? I think mean, everybody knew him. Everybody knew him. And and if they knew the real Bruno, how sincere and good-hearted he was, uh, it would have been more of a treat for them. So uh, I, I want
1: to go back real quick to Sal said something that really, I, I, you know, it was a good point that, you know, in Bruno's first reign, uh, they could have done a little bit better as far as managing his schedule. So just assume the the first time, that he had a more like you know uh, uh, family friendly schedule, and he didn't have to wrestle the smaller clubs, and he could have been home more often. Um, in my mind, he could have been the champion for fifteen years running, and I don't That's think right. they ever would have asked him. They
2: they never would have asked him to drop the belt. Sure. They, listen, they keep putting kept putting him off from dropping it. They certainly wouldn't have asked him. the The only thing that McMahon insisted on. And I mean, absolutely insistent that Bruno Sassal, I just went along. I didn't want to argue anymore. Bruno, he did not want Koloff to beat Bruno in the middle of the ring the way he did. Um, He said, look, I need to keep you strong. He said, Vince, for all these years, guys have been coming over here and putting me over in the middle of the ring. Now it's my turn, period. Yep. So that's what he did for Koloff. When it came time for Graham, he said, Bruno, I did it your way the last time. We are not doing it that way this time. Period. And he just, he just gave anything. Okay, Vince, we'll do what you want. And, and that's why they had the finish they had there. Uh, otherwise, Bruno would have had Billy just beat him right in the middle of the ring. But,
3: yeah, um, yeah,
2: McMahon was afraid it would hurt Bruno. To be honest with you, it probably wouldn't have. He, the first the first loss in the middle didn't hurt him. <laughs> you know, so the second one wouldn't have. But, again, he didn't want to argue. He was, he was done. He just wanted to, to go or whatever it was. But yet he was still in demand all over the world. Oh yeah. yeah,
3: but he was. You know what? The second time with Billy, I was on the card in Baltimore that night, and uh, uh, I was sitting in the dressing room. And he walked back in, and he he made some kind of joke as he walked through the door. Mike Sekulow said, Oh, who the hell are you? You're the ex champ. I don't want to talk to you. Get away from me." And but you could, yeah, you know. And and I looked at him and I said. Whoa! Yeah, you are the ex-champ now, aren't you? You know who'd you ever beat? Uh, but you could see uh, just in his body language and his demeanor, he was relieved. He was relaxed. You know, it was a, it was a pretty hot. It was it was hot to get Billy out of the ring that night. You know, uh, he had trouble getting out of the ring. The fans weren't too happy about it. Uh, but you could see Bruno was a, was relieved with it. You know he was worn out, man. He was he was just worn out. You know
0: when you guys were talking about the transition to from Koloff to Pedro Morales, you you said a key word that was popular back then. Uh, you described Pedro as an ethnic champion. It, it, for uh, a lot of people, tend to history kind of glosses over that Bruno with the Italians and Pedro. You had a lot of characters that were. I, I maybe gimmick isn't the right word, but they were more of an ethnic gimmick because each section of the crowd had their own hero. It was the same thing in boxing with oh, sure. Braddock and and Max Baer and some else the uh, these the Joe Lewis and these names that were like you know, they they were they were big with specific target audiences. Bruno. Despite, I mean, I, I, my name ends in a vowel. I have family in New Jersey. I I grew up knowing just how beloved Bruno was to the Italian community and, and a lot of the, the people in that area, but you said it, he transitioned that. What was it about Bruno versus a Pedro Morales that he got out of the mold of I'm, I'm an Italian champion and and just became one of the most popular people in the Northeast, even outside of wrestling. Non-wrestling fans knew and loved Bruno San Martino. What was it about him that helped him break that mold?
3: His personality. His personality. Away from the ring, uh, he was a sincere, compassionate guy. He was so, so generous to a fault. Uh, He never – listen – Bruno was so, so concerned about the fans that if he was in a restaurant, if he was in a restaurant and he wanted to have a glass of wine with dinner and there were kids sitting close by, he wouldn't have the wine on the table. He wouldn't have the wine in, in front of him. Wouldn't do that. Uh, I mean, I I just choked with my wife about something the other day. I was looking at a picture of somebody, and you know, I don't know if it was uh, uh, kids that were in college. I don't. I just don't remember what it was. But here's everybody holding up a beer bottle to take the picture. Well, boy, that never ever happened with Bruno. If if you were at an affair and there were glasses or bottles on the table, and somebody wanted to take a picture, he'd say, "Wait a minute." Wait a minute. Move these out of the way. He was so concerned not just with his image. That's that's not was his that that wasn't his concern. He was concerned that he would be a bad influence. He was he was he was that good a person. He was that good a person. And like you just said, your name ends in a vowel. Well, I went for you know I was lucky enough to be friends with him for 20 years. Uh, more, actually, and and I'm half Italian, half Irish. On he used to say to me, "Don't tell McMahon, don't tell me." <laughs> My mother was a Caruso, so, <laughs> so he, he he he. We'd be in the car, and he'd say to me, "You know, there's only one good half of you." He said, "It's the Caruso half." He said, "I don't know what happened to the rest of you," but it, his it was his personality. That, that naturally people gravitated to.
0: Well, I mean, I, I, I can't express enough that just how grateful we are for you guys to share these stories. And you both had the pleasure of talking and knowing the man. And and I know, Benny, you've shared before one of your favorite moments with uh, his, his the, the event where you met up with Dominic and, and all. Um, just how, how many lives he's touched. Uh, here we are, 50... 51 years later still talking about it and it's just one of those moments that transcends really what was wrestling at the time so this is kind of a question for both of you as we wrap up January 18th 1971 where does that where does history remember that event like like where does that fall in the history and the grand scheme of wrestling
3: well any, anybody that that is a uh... A student of professional wrestling, the way it was. Uh, I you know what? I don't know how it is now. I, I can't even tell you. I've watched a, uh, a wrestling show, and I don't know how long. I just, you know, I just don't pay attention to it. Uh, but it, w- it was a different world back then, and uh, that event in Madison Square Garden affected not only the people that were in Madison Square Garden and the people that were fans of Bruno, it affected everybody that was a wrestling fan or uh, that was interested in wrestling. you could you could bet your life that's that somebody in St. Louis said, Holy crap, Did you hear that Bruno got beat in the garden? you know, or Los Angeles or wherever? You can you can bet, and you could bet that the people that were in the business were talking about it, because when you were in the territories, you know you talked about what went on in other places because you saw people that were coming in and out all the time. You know, I, I always joke nobody was more traveled than a guy like Don Serrano. You know, and Don Serrano gets in a ring with me one night and we're listening to the referee, and Don Serrano says to me hey, did you hear Parisi is working heel in Detroit? I said, what? <laughs> no. Wait a minute. It's Dick Worley's looking at my shoes. You're telling me that Parisi's a heel in Detroit. No, I don't know that. So, so, so you can bet your life that in every arena there was a wrestling match, the guys in that dressing room were saying, did you hear? Did you hear, and many, many times when you travel the territories, if you, were, if you were a guy that worked in New York and you went somewhere else, the first thing they would ask you is, hey, did you ever work in a garden? Yeah, wow. Hey, what kind of guy is Bruno? And you, and you just have to say, you know what? You, you really have to know him to believe it. He's that good a person.
2: From my perspective, I would say that it's fair to call it the pinfall heard around the world because nobody expected it. It would have never happened unless Bruno demanded that it happen, or maybe it would have happened at some point. I'm not sure why or how, because to me, if you can entertain an audience in what was then a reasonably small territory for seven and a half years and the promoters begging you not to quit, chances (laughs) are you're going to go on for quite a while. And that was the diversity, right? Bruno is very simple. Sal, a lot of and believe me, I've seen this so many times, I don't want to name names, but where when you were wrestling somebody on top, the heel had to adjust their style or whoever, the the champion wanted the other people to adjust their style to them. Bruno adjusted his style to the people he was wrestling. He could he sure do did. everything and that's how he knew he could stay fresh and not bore people. And that's the reason, in my mind, the only reason for the longevity. Because you can be this year, but how many times? 12 times, 14 times a year, people are going to go to the same arena and see the same match with just a different face standing across? It's really not logical to think that could go on forever. But because it was so diverse, hey, we'll beat this guy in the middle. Hey, we'll come back with this guy. Hey, we'll do this. He knew what it took to keep people engaged, keep people happy, and keep people coming back. And, you know, sometimes, you know, the more you shove away, the more things come back to you. But asking all these heels to come in and work with certain guys who were, let's maybe they they were um, great on the mic, they were great at this, they were great at that. But seeing them do the same thing month in and month out against people, it just doesn't make sense that that's gonna go on long-term. And that's where I think this whole thing falls why he lasted so long, why they brought him back. And every you probably couldn't get a person to bet $1 that Koloff was going to win that match. Anybody in the garden would have never even dreamed he would have left. And, you know, to comment on what Davey was talking about earlier. Nobody, the silent, it,
3: nobody in the dressing room would have bet on
2: it. Yeah. Well, that's <laughs> probably true as well. Yeah. Um, but Bruno said, Sal, was so quiet, I thought that I lost my hearing. But then I realized Skolan was asking me if I was okay. So I I couldn't have lost my hearing because I could hear Arnold. That's yeah. how it was. And I, when that first happened to me with uh, Jimmy Snooker and Colonel De Beers in a match, I had no idea what that meant at that time. <laughs> and I said to Nick Bockwinkle, I said, Hey Nick, you hear how, how quiet the crowd was? He said, Sal, those people were seconds away from rioting. You're lucky you got right. out of there. He said, Snooker got beat. They didn't expect it. They went dead silent like that. I'm telling you, you don't know how close you were to a riot. So yep. this is what Davey was saying, the same type of thing at the Garden. That's why I don't even think they announced that Koloff won until later, after Koloff was out. I mean, people saw it, but they never really truly announced it until he was the hell out of there, and they felt like they could safely do it. But the crying and all that went on, even though there was no real announcement.
3: Yeah, the, the, the old-timers used to call it white heat. Uh, that's what they called it. I don't, I don't know why, uh, but it was it was unreal. Listen, I, like I said, I wasn't uh, officially in the business yet. Uh, I was friendly with Monsoon and and Scolden, and Gino just tugged on my arm. He said, "Don't go back out there, kid." He said, "Just come on back here." You know, so I stepped back. I was in the hallway. You know, I watched uh, I watched him walk by. I watched Bruno walk by. You know, I was saying to myself, "Holy crap." That really happened. Wait a minute here. What did I just see? What did I just see? You know, it was it was in the wrestling world. It was the event. There's nothing that's going to surpass it. Nothing that's going to eclipse it. Uh, it was it was just really something. It was really something.
0: Well, like I said, here we are, 52 years later, still talking about it, Benny. What are your final thoughts here?
1: You know, just what what uh, Davy and Sauer just saying, and as a fan of fifty three years of wrestling, I am I'm just so sad that like those days in at least in my lifetime where people cared that much about wrestling, where you know they were crying that Bruno lost. I mean, and I was you know at home reading the Daily News, I was crying that Bruno lost, and the fact that. People now, you know, and the sad thing is there are less and less fans of wrestling because we're getting older and we're, you know, we're moving on. And there are more and more fans of sports entertainment. And I, I will never again see. I mean, I have to watch Davy wrestle Bobo Brazil <laughs> years ago to, to get my wrestling fix to really enjoy a good wrestling match. And I, I, that makes me sad.
3: Well, boy, you know what? Can I can I just tell you something? Right before we we did this show, I was I was coming up to sit down to get myself uh, in position to do this, and my wife said, "Do you do you really still want to do this?" I said, "Well, yeah. With with these guys, I do. You know, I like uh, I like Benny and Dan and uh, Sal. I know for a while, and you know, I like doing this." She said, "Well, the reason I said that is because." She's not saying your time is over, which it is. My time has been over for a long time. She said it's all different. It's all different now. And, Benny, you are so right, it's sad. It's sad. When I think of it, uh, you know, I sit sometimes and, and get a little melancholy and I think about Bruno and Dominic and Mike Cicluna and uh, you know so many of my friends that are gone, Gino and uh, I just so many of them and people will never appreciate uh, that little world that we had and it it was uh, it was something that's different and for those of us that that were able to live it uh, you know uh, they can't take that away from us Uh, that's in our minds but, yeah, you're right. It is sad.
1: And that's the very reason why we do want you back, you know, back on, is to talk about it because it's something, I mean, me, I, I dearly love it. And it just, I, I don't know, maybe the term is Camelot, that, you know, it, it was so good yeah. back then. And in my lifetime, I'll never see that again. Yep,
3: yep. Uh, well, like I, go ahead. No, I'll say, that, like I said, it's something that we have – uh, that no one could change for us.
0: I mean, like, like I said at the beginning, uh, here we are, 52 years later, and we just had more fun talking about something uh, more than half a century ago than I did spending an hour talking to my buddies about the last pay per view we we watched. Yeah. <laughs> or excuse me, I, I'm sorry, premium live event are not pay per views anymore. I forgot. Oh, is that right? <laughs> <I did.
3: laughs> I guess yeah. I'm out of the loop. <laughs> with
0: with, with yeah, everything on I, the I network, guess, they called it a premium right, live right.
2: event. Whatever the hell that means. But yeah, um, well, you're, all, you're not you're not paying to per view, so yeah, I
0: guess it is. I guess can can argue it's, with that logic. But, yeah,
2: it's interesting. I never even considered that.
0: Like like you said, the uh, the fall heard around the world, the really one of the biggest turning points and moments in wrestling history. Uh, Davey, Sal, I can't thank you guys enough for being here. I know you gave us your time and you shared some, some personal stories. I truly appreciate that. We'll definitely keep in touch. We'd love to have both of you on again, uh, friends of the show and so many more stories to tell. Thank you guys so much for your time. Well,
2: if I can just say one other thing, um, uh, the book is available out there on Amazon still. It's, uh, it's loaded with pictures. It's 568 page book and uh um, the people who have read it want to learn more about bruno there's a lot of stuff in there and you know it's pretty much up to date to to the end so uh you know for all those that have purchased it if any of them are listening we're very grateful and anyone who purchases in the future much appreciated
3: and and for benny and dan uh, thank you guys so much for the way you treat our business uh, the way we knew it. Uh, for guys like me, the old timers, uh, it's special to have people that, that have the respect and had the interest uh, uh, in what we were doing. So we do appreciate that, and uh, thanks uh, for having me on. Uh, it's a it's a pleasure for me to be here. And uh, uh, anytime, I appreciate okay, our it. pleasure.
0: We we appreciate it. That's high praise and. Uh, as he mentioned, the book Available Anywhere Books can be found on Amazon uh, Bruno San Martino, The Autobiography of Wrestling's Living Legend No no better no better words to describe Bruno than legend
3: That's right
0: But again, gentlemen, thank you so much for your time You, you have a great evening, and we will definitely be in touch to have you back on uh, Sal Carrente and Davey O'Hannon, thank you so much, gentlemen
3: Thanks, thank guys. You. Take care. Bye-bye Thanks, guys
0: Here we are, Benny, 52 years later. It reminds me of the conversation we had when we did our show on the what if with Billy Graham. I mean, that was 40 some years ago and was still an exciting moment to talk about. 52 years later, still an exciting moment to talk about. And, of course, Billy Graham won the title from Bruto. So it goes back to him again.
1: Right, And, and but- you know. So many things that we didn't even get to. Like, you know, I I was going to bring up the the Larry Zbysko and Bruno feud, which was 42 years ago. Yeah. And it's still talked about to this day as one of the greatest feuds of all time.
0: Well, I mean, that that moment when when Larry Zbysko turned on Bruno is still by most wrestling historians regarded as the greatest heel turn in wrestling history.
1: I mean, I was at the time 24 And I mean, I kind of a little bit, you know, smart enough. I knew what the business was about. And I, when I saw Larry Clock Bruno with that chair, I forgot it was either a holy shit or what the, you know, blank. Right. I mean, in my living room, because I was absolutely shocked that that happened.
0: Yeah, and it was just posted on the Dan and Benny page the other day. Uh, the promo Bruno cut before they agreed to have a match where he talked about how much he loved Larry, and uh, I don't want to I don't want to put him in a hold and make him tap out because I respect him too much. And I mean, here's a guy, and, and I mean no disrespect because he was still the best in the world, but he was a decade removed from the years people point to of peak Bruno and he was still great promo, great in the ring, drawing the fans, drawing the crowd. You just can't, it's hard to describe. I mean, even in the era of keeping with the WWF in the era of like Hulkamania and how big that was. And then stone cold, Steve Austin in the attitude era, the two statistically two of the biggest draws in wrestling history and really neither of them, were to the level of Bruno's popularity in a global stage. I mean, sure, people talk about, you know, uh, during I, I, the the Monday Night Wars, there was an episode of Raw that had 8 point something million viewers, and it was like the most watched uh, week of or episode of, of the WWF. But then you have back in the territory days with all the local shows, it wasn't unheard of to think there were 25, 30 million people watching wrestling on a Saturday because you had different shows in different time zones across different areas. You just don't, it's sad that like you said, you're not going to reach that level of popularity again. I mean, honestly, if you were to ha- have a time machine and bring peak Bruno at the, at back today, I don't think he draws the crowds that he did because people have just, the genie's out of the bottle and, and the interest is gone.
1: Yeah, no, that's absolutely correct. So,
0: you know, and that's a uh, high praise we got from from Davey there. That's why we do what we do. It's it's a more it's about just bringing the crowds together and and the past. I mean, I'm 38 and. Bruno's career was pretty much over before I was old enough to watch wrestling. I remember him being an announcer and and the, he was the old champ and the periodic match. You know, he especially tagging with his son. Um, but I, I watched the tapes. And even as a kid, hey, this was 15 years ago. This was you know late 60s. This was early 70s. Even as a kid, I'm watching these tapes going, this is better than what's on TV now. And I've just been a fan of the old stuff ever since. And you can't, I mean, you can't help but love it. And it's why we do what we do.
1: Well, and, and one thing I want to say is you, to me, like, I can't thank these guys enough because like a guy like Davey, you know, he's going from town to town and he might be wrestling with a broken finger or, you know, a 104 temperature or, you know, yeah. a, a sprained ankle. And it I mean, they had no guaranteed contracts. They, they needed that payday to feed their families, and so whatever it took, they were going to do, and I mean – and they – you would never know they were hurt, and they put yep. on a good show for us every single night, 300 nights a year, and I could never thank these guys enough for that. No,
0: and, and you heard him. I mean he said it before when he was on the show in the past. You don't sell. You don't eat. Right. And, you know, he's talking about, oh, my finger's broken. Well, let's tape it together because I'm not missing a payday for a broken finger. I mean, you, got, you have athletes today getting carried off the off the field, off the court. And then you find out afterwards, like, oh, it was a, a badly sprained pinky toe. Like, come on. Right. You know? Exactly. It's it's a different breed of person. Um, but I, I can't like I said, you can't help but love it. And. You can't you can't help. Now there is there are moments. Uh, I'm not gonna completely diss anything that's out today. Uh, our proud sponsor, Boogie's Wrestling Camp. Currently, one of their students is AEW champion. I recommend anybody uh, check out Hangman Adam Page's last few matches if they're on on YouTube or if you can uh, get the on uh, Hulu the stream of the old AEW shows. His feud with Brian Danielson was some of the best wrestling I've seen in twenty years. And so, I mean, it, it, the good stuff's out there. But the funny thing is, they wrestled an older style. That match could have could have been in the territories.
1: That that's exactly the point. When you see the good stuff, it's like, wow, this reminds me of you know, and fill in the blank, whatever territory you know, Memphis, uh, right? It,
0: exactly. I mean, you look at some of the some of the people when they talk about a you know a, a, a Brian Danielson, someone like Hangman Page, uh, someone you know, is some of the the. Bigger talents of, uh, or bigger athletes of the day, like, like, uh, you know NXT with uh with Walter and some of these guys, and you hear people, or excuse me, Gunther, you hear
1: people talk about I was gonna just say, call him by
0: his right name. <laughs> I, I, my, my mistake <laughs> that we're not even gonna get
1: into that conversation is now what is that? Is he Walter or is he Gunther? What, which one no, is
0: his, his official? His official, if you go to his Twitter, uh, Gunther at Gunther WWE, like that's the name he's going by online. Did they
1: they dropped the last name, hopefully, yeah.
0: yeah well, that when they when they realized the connection there, that they, okay. they, they dropped the last name, he's just just Gunther, straight Gunther. okay. But what I was saying is you listen to the praise people give him and they talk about how he could have survived in the territory days. Brian Danielson would have drawn money in the sixties and seventies. And, uh, you know, some of the like AJ styles, I, he, he's had the, the look and the personality. He's somebody that could have drawn money in the seventies. I could see a, you know, Walter or excuse me, a Gunther being in a match with, with, you know, the Von Ericks back, back, back then, or some put, put Brian Danielson in the ring with, with Jerry Lawler and Bill Dundee. And you have these moments where you're like, I could see that when you have the stuff today, that's good. It's good because it reminds you of the old times. And that's, that's both a compliment and sad at the same time. Yeah. You get a little taste of
1: nostalgia, but all you're, all you're getting is the taste. You're not getting the main course.
0: Yeah. All those years, uh, Vince McMahon used to say he he'd sell you the sizzle and not the steak. Well, after after thirty thirty plus years of sizzle, I'm I'm kind of hungry, you know. I was
1: I'm, gonna say, you no, know, my, nothing, my, nothing, stomach, to, my stomach's yeah, empty.
0: Yeah, nothing to chew on, you know. But keep going, keep chugging along. We've got uh got a lot of good stuff coming up in the coming weeks. This is our last show in January, and we'll be uh we'll be moving on. We can't help but thank how active the fan page has been a uh, lot of good conversations pop up, popping up there. And uh, like I said, Benny, every week we seem to say we're you know growing, moving on, moving out, and
1: uh, can't do it without them. So it's getting better and better. Better and better every day. any any final thoughts? No, I just I mean, that was another one of those conversations that it was way too short. Oh, I was yeah. looking at no, I was looking at my uh, the time on my laptop. It's like I wanted it to stand still because I wanted I wanted it to keep going. I had so many more questions that that, that I wanted to ask them.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, you're you're coming up on an hour, and it's like I, we could have talked for till tomorrow, and I don't think we would have touched on Absolutely everything we wanted to correct. talk about. Yes. So. Can't can't help but love it for the BS Express himself, Benny Scala, I'm Dan Sebastiano. i have a good night, everyone, and we will see you next time we're in the ring.
1: Stay safe and stay warm.